0: There are some sentences in the English language that while they make perfect sense, we can understand them grammatically, we can picture the reality that they talk about, it's very difficult to understand how it is that they could come about, the the why of those events. Let me give you some examples. Sentences such as, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of California. Now, it's a simple sentence, we can understand it, it's a reality that we know, but the why is a little bit baffling. Why would you choose a man who became famous by lifting heavy things in his underpants? Why would you choose him to be the man who sets laws on taxation and immigration? Sentences such as, Donald Trump was the president of the United States of America. Now, whatever you think of Donald Trump, whatever you think of his presidency, right, the sentence is simple enough. But the why is a little bit strange. Why would you choose a man who became famous for firing people on reality TV to be the individual who carries the case that can launch the nuclear missiles? Interesting fact, by the way, after Donald Trump left The Apprentice, the show in which he fired people, uh, guess who took over as host? Yes, none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger. There you go, sermon bringing pop culture together. Sentences such as, here's another one, the Prime Minister of Australia went for a swim and was never seen again. Right, again, it's a sentence that makes sense. In reality, we can picture the events, but the why baffles. There is one sentence, though, that eclipses them all. One sentence that is extremely simple and yet seems to defy understanding. God became a man. It's a simple sentence. It's one that we can, I I guess, picture. After all, God is God. He can do anything he likes. But why? Why would God enter into his creation? It's such a strange question that, in fact, it's a unique claim of Christianity. You're not going to find in any other religion or view of the world that God becomes a man. There's plenty of, uh, of of the old kind of mythological things where the gods would come down amongst men and they'd still be gods. There are views today that say that we are all gods, but Christianity stands alone to say God became man. Why? Why on earth would God become finite? Would he take on himself a flesh and become dependent, become mortal, become fallible? Why did God become a man? Now that's our question really today in what is quite a complex passage. As we're getting into Hebrews, uh, it's hard work, we are going to have to think hard and, and, and work hard at it, but there are very deep rewards. Really, this is at the very heart of the Christian message. You need to understand this. Now, in our chapter, it's broken up, I think, into two halves. The first half gives us context, and the second half gives us the answer to our question. So I've got three points, first of all, that give us the background, what we need to understand as we come to this question of why God became a man. And the three points, the first one is this, firstly we need to understand our place, humanity's place in creation. Now you might remember all the way back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 when God created the world and he created humanity to be special. He gave us a unique role to rule, to be lords of creation. He gave us dominion over everything. God made man and women in his own image. We were created for glory and honour. And yet it's one of those strange quirks because who are we? Who was humanity that God would endow such an honour upon it. We were nothing, really. as the background that our writer in the Hebrews picks up on as we read from verse 5. God hasn't subjected to angels the world to come that we're talking about. It's not them, rather, verse 6, someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. Here is the first bit of background created to rule. Now, by the by, uh, I just thought I'd point out in verse 6 there, someone somewhere has testified. If you ever said uh, the Bible says and felt a little bit sheepish, there you go, one of the Bible writers did it too. But what he's pointing out as he quotes this particular psalm is that puzzle of humanity. So small, so insignificant, we too are but creatures. There's nothing about us that would require that God give us dominion and rulership other than his own will, making us in his image crowning with glory and honor. The humanity really is unique. You, you compare us to all the other creatures that exist. No other creature has plans to explore Mars. No, none has visited the moon for that matter. None can build a rocket that can take off into space, deliver its payload and return and land safely. No, we, we kind of, we kind of can. No other species goes and collects other species and examines them and stores them. No other creature on the planet cares about the well-being of the others or exploits them when it's for their gain. No other species chases away the vermin in the way that we do and tries to recuperate animals that have gone into extinction, creating zoos not just for our viewing pleasure but for research, for caring, for propagation of species. Our place created to rule in glory and honour but the writer points out our failure. You see, while we were created to be the lords of creation, the second half of verse 8 reminds us that as it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. Oh, created to rule, but we fail. And we fail miserably. Lords of creation? We can't control a thing. We certainly can't control the environment. right? Whether it is, if it isn't bushfires, then it's droughts. If it's not droughts, then it's floods. That's just in our country. We can't control nature. right? We end up, animals are extinct under our watch. We think we get rid of the vermin, but they're back again. We found another mouse in the house just the other day. We thought we got rid of them all. There's another one. We can't even control ourselves. I mean, what marks our culture out? Divorce, addictions, abuse. There's orphans everywhere. There's wars that we fight. We've even coined a sentence for it, a phrase, a saying. We say, to err is human. We're a long, long way from what we were created to be. And that failure is seen the most in the face of death. You see, facing our own mortality reminds us that even the best of us, even those who achieve the most, even those who are the closest to ruling in glory and honour, still die and all their achievements are as nothing. Our failure becomes because we are under a sentence of death. We're not lords of anything, let alone our own destiny. Death mocks every achievement, created to be lords, ruling in glory and honour, failing miserably, and yet the background is that we do see a victory. You see, we do see in verse 9, Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death. We do see one man, the son of man, who was what we were created to be. The one who is crowned with glory and honour. The one who comes to be what humanity was supposed to be. And yet, it's puzzling, isn't it? Did you notice the strangeness of it in verse 9 as I read it? We see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. Okay, Crowned with glory and honour, okay, but notice how it came about, that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. Crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death. Victorious and ruling because he suffered death? Well, if anything, the puzzle just gets deeper. Well, that's the background as we come to this question of why it is that God became a man, we see that we were created, humanity created to rule in glory and honour. We fail miserably. We don't rule anything. And in particular, we fail because of death. Death mocks us all. We see that there is a victory though. The Lord Jesus is the one who is what we were created to be, who does rule in glory and honour, and yet he succeeds specifically because he suffered death. It's such a complicated puzzle. God died? How does the death of a man overcome human failure seen in death? If our failure is seen in our death, how is it possible that this man's death is a success? Well, that's what we need to turn to as we understand the logic of what comes next. Three logical steps that show us Jesus' death the meaning behind it, and therefore why God became man. The first step is that in his death, Jesus was tasting death for everyone. Again, we saw that in verse 9. We see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. There's a very big difference between Jesus' death and ours, the death that you face that I face one day, that every human being has faced. He died not for himself, but for everyone. God's grace, God's gift, God's generosity was that Jesus might die for everyone. That's the first logical step. Secondly, It was fitting, it was an appropriate way to bring many sons to glory. Jesus died for everybody because that was the appropriate way to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Have a look at verse 10. For, right, this is where we see the logic starting to play out, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was fitting, it was appropriate for God. It was right according to who God is. I mean, God, who tells God what's fitting for him to do? Who tells God what's appropriate? God tells us. God acts appropriately to his character. And what was appropriate? That the Saviour save us by entering into the suffering and the death that he was saving us from. For the Saviour to be the Saviour, he had to suffer the death that he is saving us from. That is why he was made perfect through suffering. Now look, we sometimes get a little bit confused with his made perfect business because we have a different sense of the word perfect. The word perfect can mean moral perfection, and undoubtedly, Jesus was morally perf- perfect. He never sinned. So how is it that he was made perfect? Well, the word can also mean com- complete or right or appropriate. I can have something that is perfect for me. My glasses are perfect for me. They're, they're not morally perfect. In this case, they're ambiguous. They're just an inanimate object. But they are my exact prescription. They are the shape of, right shape for my face. They're the perfect glasses. Well, you might disagree. Perhaps the, uh, the the styling is slightly different, but you get my point. Jesus made perfect to be the savior it means that he did what was necessary to be the appropriate, right, effective one for the job. How was he made perfect? By suffering death, complete for the work of bringing many sons to glory. You see, only the Son of God could bring others to be sons of God with him. Why did God become a man? Well, in order for the Saviour to be the Saviour, it had to be God who brings us to be sons of God. But in order for Jesus to be the Saviour, it had to be a man who brings us to be sons of God. It had to be both God and man in one to bring salvation to those who had failed. You see, Jesus died for everyone, the fitting way to bring many sons to glory. He had to be, and this is the third logical point, he had to be like us in order to destroy the enemy and deliver us from slavery. He had to be like us in every way, which included the suffering and the death. Verse 14. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Far from being the lords of creation. Humanity, we we are slaves. We're enslaved to the fear of death. We cannot escape it. It shapes and colours everything we do and we ignore it and we pretend it's not there but we are enslaved to Satan's power in that. Oh, he's, he's good, isn't he, at telling lies, such great lies that we believe him and we ignore him and we forget about death and we pretend life is good and we're in control. No, Jesus had to become like us, he had to share in our frailty, he had to enter into the place where we were slaves, he had to die in our place in order to defeat death, in order to free us from Satan. It's like the ultimate kind of gotcha, it makes me think of, I don't know if Trojan horse is quite right but Those epic fantasy stories where the hero comes into and finds himself captured and in the muck and in the slavery with everybody else. And then from within, he overthrows the evildoers and defeats the big bad boss and leads everybody off in freedom. That's the picture in my mind. Or perhaps uh, the kung fu fight where the, the little old wizened man that no one expects anything from turns out to be the one who rescues everyone. Isn't this just one more slave amongst the rest? I mean, maybe did Satan think he was just killing another one? Turned out that he was God, entered into our failure by taking sin and death onto himself that he might rise victorious to defeat both the devil and death and so able to deliver those who were slaves. You see, the author concludes, God had to become a man. Have a look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted entered into our failure, became one of us in every way, including suffering and facing death, but death that he didn't deserve, it was death for all of us, that he might be able to mediate, he might be able to be the go-between, between us and God. He was truly one of us and truly God. To make atonement, he was able to pay for my sin and for yours. There are many things That Christianity is not. Christianity is not a moral code. It's not about human achievement or endeavour. It's not about making you and me the best people we could possibly be. It's not about having amazing experiences, supernatural or otherwise. It's not about making life good. It's not about producing justice on earth or bringing safety into you. It's not a crutch to help you when life is hard. Christianity may bring all of those things, but that is not what it's about. Christianity is God's rescue mission. That's what it is. It's God becoming a man, God coming to us, entering into our suffering, to die in our place. Defeating death as the perfect one who paid the full price and in defeating death rose again to new life such that he can now bring many sons and daughters to glory with him. The glory we were created for. The glory that we failed at. I'll tell you what a Christless Christianity is a nonsense. Just the same way that a crossless Christianity is a nonsense why did god become man to bring many sons and daughters to glory he had to to bring about the salvation that he purposed now i've got three implications there's many more this is deep and this is central to the christianity but i just want to draw out three for you right now the first one is for you if you're not a christian if you're watching this and you know yourself to not be forgiven by Jesus, you haven't come to him and trusted him with your life and your eternity, then please, please, can I can I just be frank for a moment? You need to understand that you are a slave to the devil. You're a slave to sin and death makes a mockery of any and everything that you will ever do, achieve or be. There is... No hope for you other than to find a saviour. This is a slavery we cannot free ourselves from. We are dead. Dead people don't rise. Except for the one who did. You need a saviour. You need Jesus. God himself entered into humanity to die in your place. He's the only one who can do it. So please come to him. Please come to him. Ask him to help you. Ask him to save you. Now my second implication, again if you are somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus, never be fooled by Christianity that is Christless or crossless. I'll tell you what, there are so many versions of Christianity out there. You, You can find somebody who will preach whatever it is that your itching ears want to hear. There are versions of Christianity that are no different to self-help, that are no different to New Age spirituality, that are no different to pagan worship, that are no, you can find a version of it out there that will do any of it. But any version of Christianity that wants to diminish the place of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where God as man suffered death to atone for our sin, in the end is a futile and empty Christianity that cannot save. Without the cross, God becoming man is senseless. Why on earth would God do it if it wasn't to enter into our failure and redeem us out of it? Don't be fooled. And so thirdly, don't drift away. As our writer keeps reminding us, don't drift away. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on God become man. Treasure him. Treasure Him. Our passage today reminds us the glory that we were made for only comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. All the rewards of eternity and heaven, everything good that we hope for, all our future is tied up in Him. Why would you not value Him above everything else? Treasure Him above everything else. Delight in Him like you do in nothing else. Live free from the slavery that you've been rescued from, free from the slavery to death that just brings fear, free from the slavery to Satan, free from slavery to your own sinful nature and live freely under God, delighting in loving and serving him. Knowing that he's with you, knowing that he's for you, knowing that he loved you so much that he entered into humanity to suffer and die for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are so much greater than we are. Your ways are so much better than whatever we could think of. Your heart is so much more loving Than ours, that you would enter into humanity in the Lord Jesus, purposefully to suffer and die, that you might bring us with Jesus to glory and honour, to adopt us as your sons. Jesus is our brother. We praise you for it. You are good. You are loving. You are merciful and you are kind. We don't deserve it. And so we say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.